0: Our sermon this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 1 this morning. That's page 874, uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. And so I invite you, if you will, to find your way to that passage of Scripture um, and uh, trust that God will be uh, willing to bless us richly as we consider his word this morning. By the way, the choir sounded pretty good this morning, don't you think? Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm So blessed by that ministry. Thank you for all who contribute to it that you might serve us in that way. So Luke 15, verse 1. Hear now the Word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful this morning to be gathered here by Your kindness and grace that we might, as Your people, assemble to worship and to exalt You this morning. We are thankful, Father, for the opportunity we have already had to praise You and to pray to You and to hear Your Word read. And now, Father, uh, we ask You in Your kindness to us that You would help us to see this simple story before us, teaching us the profound and uh, uh, life-changing truths that it gives. We want uh, to be changed today. We want to be transformed increasingly into the likeness of Christ. We want, Father, to repent of the sin and idols in our lives. And we ask that You, by Your Spirit, would come and help us as we consider Your Word to us. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever lost something valuable? Your wallet? Keys? Right, uh, um, you, you, something's really important to you. You search everywhere for it. Right, you're you're frantically trying to find it. Maybe a piece of jewelry, maybe a, a credit card, maybe a child. Right, <laughs> right. You, you ever lost a child? That I'll tell you, that's no fun. Uh, losing I can't tell you how many times I've lost a child. <laughs> and and I know some of some of you are saying. How can, you, how can you lose a child? And the reason why you don't understand how you can lose a child is because you've never had a child, right? And, and all of us who've had children realize they are very sneaky people and, um, and they are uh, easily lost. In fact, we lost uh, a child just a number of months ago. Um, we lost our four-year-old for about two hours, which is a lot of fun, let me tell you. Um, we we searched the house and we we searched the woods out back and and we searched the pond in our neighbor's property and we searched the ten foot waterfall that was down our gravel road and and we searched and searched until we finally found the little guy hiding in the back of my truck parked at the mechanic um, and and I I can't tell you right um, you know you know what what happens to you when you When you find a child in this situation, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because you have this intense desire to throttle the child, (laughs) right? Which is only overcome by an even greater desire to embrace the child. It's this fascinating mixture of anger and love, right? Relief, joy, celebration. And we see a bit of that in this passage before us, don't we? We see the lost, we see them being found, and we see the joy that accompanies their homecoming. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, this is the great purpose statement in Luke's gospel. You know it. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what we see here in this passage. But before we even look at Luke 15, just look up a couple verses earlier. This is in Luke 14, verse 34. We consider this, I think, about three weeks ago. Remember when Jesus taught us this very difficult teaching and he concluded it by saying salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is what he's teaching, the, the cost of becoming his disciple. If you want to follow me, it's going to cost you more than you ever realized. And he says, you, so, so some of you are able to hear. He who could hear, let him hear. And then we read the very next verse in chapter 15 and verse 1. And we read, now, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. He Who's becoming his disciples? But sinners. Rebels. Lovers of money, lovers of, of wickedness coming to Jesus. They're even eating with Him according to verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He's breaking bread with them. He's fellowshipping with them. In other words, the banquet of God's mercy which we consider in Luke 14 has already begun. And Christ is welcoming these sinners into His life. Jesus has come to give them grace. He's come to invite them to this banquet. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. But you see there in verse 2, not everybody's happy about this. In fact, the the very people who are in the, the position, the greatest position to offer sinners the grace and mercy of God instead chose to give them judgment and scorn. The Pharisees hated this. Verse 2 tells us, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They, they muttered. What's he doing? Why is he spending his time with them? He should be spending his time with us. Why is he with all these sinners? Why is he with the, the prostitutes and the pimps and the drug addicts and the, and the tax collectors? Why is he spending his time with them? He, and they thought he's approving their sin by his association with them. And this was all. You see, this throughout Jesus' ministry, the religious class constantly turning their back upon the people who are so desperate for their help. But this is not the first time it happened. This has been going on as long as God has had His people. Tom read for us from Ezekiel thirty-four. But if he would have began in verse two, you would have heard these words: prophesy against the shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them Ah, shepherds of israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep the weak you have not strengthened the sick you have not healed the injured you have not bound up the strayed you have not brought back the lost you have not sought my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search for them here, the indictment that, Jesus, that God brought against the shepherds in, in Israel's day is the indictment that Jesus is bringing against the very uh, like shepherds in his day. God says, You're not searching for my sheep. Why are you not looking for them? And so how will God get them? Well, well, we saw in Ezekiel 34, He says in verse 11, Behold, I, I Myself will search for My sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd rescues his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out My sheep. I will rescue them. If the shepherds have failed to do it, God says, I Myself will do it. I will find that which is lost. How does He do it? Well, if you read on in Ezekiel 34, in verse 23, He said, I will set over them one shepherd my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I tell you, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, is this shepherd. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd has come for us. And we see this beautifully portrayed in this little, very simple story that Jesus tells us here, often called the parable of the lost sheep. In fact, sometimes Luke 15 has been nicknamed the lost chapter in the Bible. The reason for that is not because it's hard to find, but in it, Jesus tells us three stories in Luke 15. The first story about the lost sheep, the second story about the lost coin, and the third story we might call the parable of the lost sons, if you will they're all very similar stories there's all on every story something's been lost and then there's a great search for it and then then it's been found and in the finding of it there's this great celebration and what Jesus is teaching us he's really just teaching us the heart of the gospel the, the heart of this God who comes and rescues us and rejoices to give mercy to us it is a story after story of of God's joy in recovering the lost And so I'm looking forward this morning to consider uh, this first story with you. In fact, God willing, we're going to spend four weeks in Luke chapter 15, just kind of uh, rejoice in these truths as God ministers to our heart. And one of the things that I've been praying for, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'll just let you know, and before we even begin, if you will, in in this story, is I I have been praying. I wrote this sermon about maybe about a month ago, and I, I have been praying, um, that, that those of you who today who come into this room, and I know, I know they are here. I, I, don't, I don't have you identified, but I, I, I feel convicted in my heart that you're here. That there are some of you who are lost. There are some of you who have wandered far away from the God who made you. And my, my prayer this morning is in the next 45 minutes, Jesus finds you. And He throws you upon His shoulders. And he brings you home to God with great joy in his heart. So let's consider uh, the son of man has come to seek and save that which lost. First of all, consider number one, the shepherd's search, the shepherd's search. We pick up in verse three as we read. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one? who is lost until he finds it. So he begins with the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. In other words, he's doing pretty well for himself. Right? He's got a nice small business, right? He's got a hundred. He loses one. It's certainly not a big deal. It's not a huge deal for his financial status if he loses one of his hundred sheep. And yet for him, evidently, it is a big deal it's a huge deal. He's not willing to lose a single one of his sheep. In fact, he loves the lost sheep so much that he's willing to leave the 99 in the open country in order to go find the one that is lost. It's like a parent, right? I mean, you you, you don't lose a child and say, well, you know, I got six others, right? No. What do you do? You, you, you leave the six behind now, by the way, I'm trying to be certified to be a foster parent. So you leave them with proper supervision, right? Just, and, and you go and you look for the lost child. He said, well, isn't that, you know, he leaves these 99 sheep in the open country. Isn't that cruel for the 99? Well, think about it for a moment. What would be the impact on the 99 if he thought, you know, it's just one out of 90. One out of 100 is not that big deal. I'll stay here with you all. Then He teaches all the other 99 that if we get lost, you know what's going to happen. He's not coming for us. No, He shows His love that He's willing to leave the 99 to go and look for that that lost one. The the shepherd will pay the high cost to go and find it. And so you can imagine this shepherd walking for miles and combing the hills and looking around every bush and bramble until he finds what Jesus says, until he finds it, until he finds that which is lost. He goes and searches for the sheep. Now there's a couple of reasons why he has to search for the sheep. The fir- first reason that he must search for the sheep is that sheep are dumb. Right? And just to be clear, you're the sheep in this story. Right? And so am I, right? This is us. Because when we hear sheep and he's the shepherd, we might be tempted to feel all warm and nice and isn't this pleasant, And right? Your kids can't sleep and you don't, you don't tell them to count alligators, right? You like, count, say count sheep, right? Because right? they're fluffy and there's green pastures. And, 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 and so we might, might think, well, this is a pleasant story. But no, Jesus is trying to insult us they would have fully understood that this is a, a well-understood insult. It's not intended to make us feel nice about ourselves. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dirty. Sheep are defenseless. Um, and I, I could testify to this firsthand. I used to raise sheep. Um, and and I, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but uh, if you've ever m- smelt a sheep's breath, it will make your eyes water. It, it, it is, I don't know what they're eating. Well, I know what they're eating. I don't know what's going on inside of them because it is... It is like a, a biological weapon. Um, they are terrible, nasty animals. In fact, I once lost uh, a, a sheep. In fact, I, I lost four sheep. And not four out of 100, but I lost four out of four. Um, and, and, and so I left the zero sheep to go went searching for the four sheep. And if you have sheep, or uh, some of you know, some of you are farmers, you know this is not a one-time event. They're constantly getting lost they're constantly running off because they're dumb they just wander away they go around the corner they can't find their way home they get lost see the the the, the reason is not only they're dumb but but they're they're dumb and lost and they can't get home and they need a shepherd to come seek after them just like you did just like i did This is a picture of our state in sin. And we need the shepherd to come and to to rescue his lost sheep. The Bible is, is constantly referring to us our spiritual state of rebellion and sin as wayward sheep. For instance, in Isaiah 53, the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've all wandered away from God. Everyone. And yet God knows this and he comes searching for us, doesn't he? He comes to look for us. You know, you have all these people coming around Jesus and, and all these people, thousands of people are gathered around Jesus today and even you and I have, have want to draw near to Jesus and just in case you think that it was your idea to do so, I want to correct you gently this morning. Jesus is saying to those around him and I think saying to us today, no, 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 it's not you who came looking for me. I came looking for you. He And in doing so, he fulfills uh, Ezekiel 34. He says, I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will search for my sheep. I will rescue them from all places they were scattered. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. This is what he has promised to do. He is going to search for the sheep. In fact, he I think he told us as much in Luke uh, 14. I do know what Luke 14 is about. Remember when, when, when Jesus says, I want to throw this great banquet, right? And I want the house to be full and I want there to be this internal banquet. And, and He calls all the people into the banquet and all the religious class, they say, you know, we, we like our things too much to go to your banquet. We're more interested in the stuff we have. We like our cows and our fields and our wives and we don't really care about what you're offering. And so what does He do? He goes what? Searching. He goes looking. He says, okay, bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, bring in the single mom, bring in the drunk, bring in the tax collector, bring in the sinners, go out the highways and the edges that, that you might bring the lost into my banquet. I want to eat with them. I want to celebrate with them. I want my house to be filled. Find the lost and bring them in, he says, because God searches for sinners. He loves to save that which is lost and his search is relentless. The lost must be found. The house must be full because God loves to save. I, I tell you, praise God that He looks for sinners like you and I. My brothers and sisters, where would you be if God did not come looking for you? Where would you be if He did not search for you? I wonder, how, how did He find you, Christian? What, a, what, a, what, what if you gather today, maybe you grab a family for lunch and you just get together and sit around the table and you break bread together and you just testify. Where was I? What was I doing? God found me. You share how He searched and, and found you and, and you be thankful. Eternally grateful. He seeks the lost. and He not only sought us, but He continues to seek, doesn't He? He seeks, in fact, through us. I want you to notice the Pharisees' kind of heart was to separate themselves from the wicked, to to get get around people just like them, right? To avoid people like that. Jesus seemed to do the exact opposite, didn't He? He He's constantly with people who didn't think like Him and didn't believe like Him and didn't act like Him. I wonder, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are you more like? Are you more like Jesus in this or are you more like the Pharisees in this? You even see how he begins this story in verse 4. It's, it's a question, isn't he? He says, what man of you? In other words, suppose one of you were in this situation. Wouldn't you go and look for the lost? Wouldn't you seek the lost? And yet I've read the, that the average American evangelical Christian within two years of, of coming to Christ has no meaningful relationships with people outside of Christ. And yet Jesus is seeking them. He's he's eating with them. Are you eating with non-believers? Are you spending time? Are you building relationships? Are you seeking to, to are you seeking them out as Christ has sought you? How does he seek them out? He does so through you and I. I have a pastor friend who I was speaking to about a month ago and he said he and his wife joined a gym had a gym membership, not because they liked to work out, simply because they, they were searching for the loss and they, they thought that we would go there and develop relationships with people and, and he was testifying how they had been there for months and were somewhat disappointed about the quality of relationships in which they were forming with those people in the gym until one Sunday about two months ago, this couple from the gym showed up at his church, just blown away and he says, you know, what are you guys doing here? And, and they said to him, you know, we, we've, we've been watching how you and your wife interact. you've you've said a couple things to us and it's just got us thinking about maybe we're missing something in our life and we know you pastor this church and so we're we're coming to find out what is it we're missing but that doesn't happen unless you actually intentionally are seeking unless we're going after the lost as christ has gone after you the shepherd's search consider secondly the shepherd's work the shepherd's work is recorded in verse 5 And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So you notice it's not enough that he seeks the lost or call the lost or even find the lost. He can't even leave the lost home. He what? He carries the lost home. He hoists the 100-pound sheep upon his shoulders and carries it home. In other words, he does all the work necessary in order to bring the lost back into the fold. I would uh, suggest to you that this is a picture of his love. I like how one pastor put it. He said, once he found his lost sheep, the shepherd draped it around his neck, firmly grasped its four legs in front of him, and started his long trek home. Here's a relationship of astonishing intimacy, he writes. Exhausted by its struggle in the wilderness and too weak to walk back home, the sheep has found safety and security in its shepherd's arms. This is a picture of the loving tenderness and the care in which the shepherd works to bring us all the way back home. It was, by the way, a very powerful image in the early church. The earliest Christian statue that we have ever found dated back to the third century, is simply a statue of a shepherd with carrying a sheep on his shoulders. This testifies to us of, of God's love for us. You see, this parable tells us a couple of things. It tells us that we are first of all, utterly lost, right? But it also tells us we are utterly loved. It tells us how loved we are. That Jesus takes the loss and hoists it upon His shoulders and carries them home. He carries them. David said as much in Psalm 28. Save your people, he said. He prayed to God. Be their shepherd. Carry them forever. Or Isaiah 46. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am He. I am He who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you, God says. God carry us, cares, carries us all the way home. And I, the reason I'm laboring on this point is I want you to understand how different this is from all the other religions in this world. All the religions of this world say, here's the rules to follow. Here are the rituals to keep. And here's, you confess to this person, do it this time, and he tells you to do that. Or you bow and you pray in this direction this time. and You do this many times a day. And you do this and do that and do this right here, here, here are all this, the heart of all religions. Here's the advice. Here's the counsel. Here's the, uh, the, the instruction. Here are the rituals you need to do. In other words, all religion agrees we're lost. And then the religions come and says, okay, now clean yourself up, get your act together. And religion comes and gives us a couple pointers, gives us this advice and instruction. This is what you need in order to get home. As one individual says, religion, all religions of this world except Christianity, treats you like a dog. A dog can find its way home, can't it? I've read stories of dogs hundreds of miles away. And somehow, they are able to, to get home, right? You find a lost dog, what do you do? You point, you say, go home. Or at least the dog will follow you home. But the gospel is not, if you will, just to carry on this illustration, we are not dogs, right? The gospel is, we are sheep. We need to be rescued. Because a sheep goes around the corner and it doesn't know how to get home. Right? And you can't point your... I've tried this, by the way. You can't point to a sheep and say, go home. Because it runs the other way. Right? Right? The, the sheep, in other words, contribute nothing to their salvation. The shepherd must throw it upon his shoulders and he must carry it home. There's no cooperation in our salvation. There's no participation that, that you contribute in order to get home. The shepherd must do everything for the sheep. This is, why Jesus, oh, this is why God did not send us a teacher to help us. You know, many times people say, well, you know, I think Jesus is a really good teacher. I don't know about the Savior business, but I think he's a good teacher. Next time, by the way, someone says that to you, why don't you just ask them, oh, yeah, what are your three favorite things that Jesus taught? And watch them stare at you in silence. Right? Well, most of the time when people say that he's a teacher, they don't even know what it is he taught. But I would suggest to you that Jesus is, did not come as a teacher. Certainly he taught us. We're reading his teaching now but he did not come primarily as a teacher, right? In fact, God sent teachers one after another, didn't he? And and the people of God had constantly ignored his counsel, rejected their instruction. They kept pointing us home and we just kept becoming more and more lost. We needed a savior, not a teacher. We needed one who would come and do all the work to save us. And Jesus says, I'm going after the sheep. I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to carry you home. Now there's a way in which he does this, isn't there? We don't see it in this parable, but we know it from the rest of Scripture. How is it that He carries us? How is it that He, 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 he rescues us? It's not by putting us upon His shoulders, but by putting His cross upon His shoulders. In order to carry us a home, he, he first had to carry the burden of our sin. The prophet Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity. Or the sin of us all. See, Christ came to bring us home, and He does so by suffering for our sin. He does so by carrying our iniquities upon His shoulders. The prophet continues by saying that that our Savior poured out His soul to death, and listen, He bore the sin of many. Jesus is not your life enhancer, He has not come to help you deal with your troubles. Or to fix your relationships. Or help you out of jams. Though He will. I believe that with all my heart. He'll do so for His glory. But He came ultimately to bear the weight of your sin. Even though it would crush Him. He would collapse to the point of death under it. He said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. And I would suggest the more you and I consider the love of our Savior for us, the more we would be changed by, by it. This parable tells us, you know, we're not just, uh, we're, we're, we're utterly lost, right? And it also comes and says, and at the same time, you're utterly loved. Isn't that not what the cross does for us? We look at the cross and, and what do we see? We, we see we're more sinful than we ever imagined. Were worse than we ever dared to 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 imagine. That that we are so bad that the Son of God has to die for us. And we 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 are the, the gospel comes and it puts us in the dirt. And as soon as we go in the dirt, you know what it does? It lifts us up because it, at the same time, it not only tells us we are more sinful than we ever imagined, but we are more loved than we ever dreamed possible. Because not, not only would, would, would He have to die for our sins, believe it or not, He is glad to do it. The Bible says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross scorning its shame. It's out of joy. It's out of love. It's out of delight for you that Christ would come and take your sin and put it upon his shoulders, being nailed to a cross for it. This is who you are, Christian. You are one who has been totally and radically and completely saved by Christ and nothing that you have done has contributed to that. He has come and done this work. This is our identity. This is who we are. We are, we are not just lost sheep. We are loved sheep. In fact, I, you know, I don't know if you have that little title in your, in your Bible right there. I, these, by the way, are not part of Scripture. Someone just added those to help us out. I cross that out, uh, the parable of the lost sheep. I, my, mine now reads the parable of the loved sheep. I think that's far more important, that God would come and love us this deeply. This is who we are' we're, we were lost but we are more we are loved through our lostness if you will and so please and we 'll look at this more when we get to Luke 15 you see how this would change us if we would let it take hold of our heart you see how it would push us away from this tendency that we all have to be Pharisees right to be self righteous as we grow in our morality we begin to feel superior over other people and we look down upon them and disdain if they don 't think the way we do or 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 act the way we do or vote the way we do, right? We, we look down upon those people and we have this perverse joy at times in our heart because we think we're better than others. If you truly understand the Gospel, you would never feel that way. In fact, you would still have joy. But it would be a joy that would, would prohibit you from ever having that self-righteousness in your heart when you understand how lost it was you were and how you contributed nothing to being found and to be saved. This is what He has done for us i wonder have you been found i remember when i was found when i was um 17 years old so i walked into a church with hair down my back after i just flicked my cigarette into the church parking lot and walked into this church simply to meet uh girls of the opposite sex i had no idea uh well of course girls are the opposite sex that's redundant isn't it right okay well i don't know it's california this was california so i don't know what's going on right um Heard for the first time in my life that there is a God who has come and died to pay your sin. And He rose from the dead. He found me. I wasn't looking for Him. He found me. And for me, it was like a punch in the gut. It was like He slammed me against the wall. How dare you live the life you're living? In light of every moment of your life I sustain you I bless you I give you lung uh, air in your lungs how dare you live in total neglect of me and my commandments It brought me down in the dirt And just as quickly he came and ran and said but I love you And I love you enough to save you completely Let me carry you home Have you been found Has he carried you home Has He thrown you upon His shoulders? It doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. Jesus says, I will carry you home. It doesn't matter how long you've been astray. This is what He does. God is good at many things, but the thing He is best at is saving sinners. The Son of Man came to seek and to save sinners that which is lost. If you will simply repent of your self-rule, of living for yourself, bow your knee to King Jesus and say, yes, give me grace. I surrender. I believe you are the Son of God who died upon the cross and rose from the dead. And I give my life to you. Have mercy on me. He will throw you upon His shoulders and carry you home, all the way home. And He will do it with great joy in His heart. Consider, lastly, the shepherd's joy. The shepherd's joy. So when the shepherd's out and he finds the sheep in the wilderness, notice what happens in verse 5. And when he was found, he lays it upon his shoulders. Look at this. Rejoicing. And he's full of joy. Right? He, he's, he's, he's so overjoyed that the lost sheep has been found. It has not been devoured by the predators. It's safe. And, and he carries the sheep singing all the way home. In fact, when he gets home, you notice his joy is infectious. In verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Right? So great is his joy. He has to share it. He can't keep it to himself. He he sees his neighbors and he and with the, the sheep upon his shoulders and he says, Come on, man. Well, I found my sheep. We're going to party. Come on over to my house. We want to celebrate. And the community begins to gather around this shepherd in joy that the lost has been discovered. The lost has been carried the loss has been brought home. And, and, and I just think when Jesus is telling, I mean, He told this story. We're reading it now, but there's one time when He told this for the first time. And it was surrounded, as we've already seen, by these tax collectors and these sinners. Right? They're, they're gathered around Him. These are people their whole life that all the religious people have told them, you're filthy. You're unclean. You, you need to get away from here. You can't be around God, right? You, you, you need to leave. You've gone too far. God doesn't want you. Remember when that woman was, is, is weeping over Jesus' feet at the house of the Pharisees and they're all thinking if He knew what sort of woman this was, He would kick her to the curb. That's all they've heard. And Jesus shows up. The one religious man, He says, I know you're lost, but I'm coming to get you. And when I get you, when I bring you home, you know what we do? We celebrate. We rejoice. Right? He doesn't find them. He doesn't, he's not scolding them, you stupid little sheep. What were you doing out here? Don't you know how dangerous? No, he, with joy, he, he brings it home. And he, when he gets home, everybody begins to celebrate. And I just, can you imagine? Don't you, when you get to heaven, want to talk to some of these people? What were you thinking when you first heard this parable of this lost and loved sheep? Right? You can kind of imagine just the tears rolling down their cheek and they begin to stand up a little bit. For the first time, they're hearing that God loves me. In fact, He loves me enough to come get me. And worship begins to rise up in their heart. And I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you, you find yourself that you've wandered away from God and you think that God is, is disappointed. And, and certainly He's grieved over our sin. He's a holy God, by the way. I don't want to minimize this. He hates your sin. But He loves you. And if you think for a moment, you know, so i wandered afar from him and he must be up there with his arms folded and his brow furrowed and he's shaking his finger and think, what in the world are you doing? Don't you know, realize how stupid you are to be doing all this? Please understand that is not the God of the Bible. I don't know who's telling you that, but that is not what God has told us. It's not what Jesus has told us. You want to make God happy. You know what God, what brings God joy? Repentance salvation god delights to give mercy he's not reluctant to give mercy he doesn't have to think twice about giving mercy whenever there's a chance for him to give mercy it is his great joy and delight to pour out mercy upon those who call for it and, and christian I, I, there's got to be areas in your life as there are in my life that are that are unsubmitted to god right there are idols in our life aren't there you know areas of sin in which you're struggling you want to bring god joy you want to bring God to light? Repent. Turn from that, that heaven might rejoice at your repentance at God's mercy. In fact, it is heaven that rejoices. Jesus here in verse seven. Notice he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Right? How many people does it take for God to get filled with joy? How many people have to repent? Are we talking about thousands, millions? What's going to move God? One person. Just one. If there's a person in this building right now, if you would repent, you can literally, I tell you by the authority of the very Word of God, you, heaven would erupt in joy if you would bow your knee to Jesus and say, will you take me home, please? I surrender. I'm, I'm tired of running from you. If you've, you've been searching for me and you've been coming after me, I'm ready to go home. Throw me upon your shoulders and bring me home. And I tell you, the omnipotent, all-present, all-knowing God would erupt in joy. You think, well, it would just just me? I mean, he's got this universe to run, and the universe is big, right? And he's got elections to oversee, and he's got weather to manage, he's got atoms to hold together. I mean, God has a lot going on. He has, he's doing a, a, a lot, right? And and I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know of a single, and there may be a verse in the Bible, but I've read it, and I don't know of a single verse that says God rejoices at the orbit of the planets, or that God rejoices in the in in, in you know sending the whirlwind, or whatever else God does. But I can tell, I could point out verse after verse that god rejoices to save that god rejoices to give mercy heaven celebrates when sinners come home you can bring heaven joy today by coming home to god more joy over one sinner that repents than 99 who need no repentance now i want to be clear here Uh, um, we all need to repent I don't think Jesus is teaching that some of us don't need repentance. All of the Christian life is one of repentance. But I think what he's saying here is that there's more joy of our lost one returning than the rest of us who've already been found, right? You, for instance, you, you, if you lost a kid, and though you had six remaining, you're going to rejoice more over the kid that you found than the six that, that you didn't need to find. Right? And this is God is, is filled with joy. He's, he's rejoicing at this. The, the, of course, the Pharisees aren't, are they? They're, they don't rejoice at repentance. they rejoice in judging. They rejoice in condemning. I don't know if you ever met Christians like that. Who rejoice in judging other people who get a kick out of thinking they're better than others. right? We're pure, we're holy. The rest get what they deserve. The rest have failed. God should judge them. Jesus has judged them. they come to judge them. I came to save them. I've come to bring them home. I've come to cause heaven to erupt in joy by bringing them into my house. And this is why everyone's gathered around Jesus and worshiping him. This is why the woman is falling at his feet and wiping his his feet with her hair and, and weeping over him. It's why another woman breaks her jar of perfume over Jesus in front of everyone, sacrificing greatly. It's why Zacchaeus climbs a tree just to get a look at Jesus. It's why the healed demoniac says to Jesus, can I just please go with you? That's all I want, is I just want to be with you. Because all these alienated people, all by their own doing and their own wickedness, who had no... No hope of salvation or restoration or forgiveness are found by jesus and, and when they do not only heaven re- uh, erupts in joy but their hearts erupt in joy their hearts erupt in worship they have this great delight for him they long for him i wonder christians do you have a delight in god christians do you feel yourself being drawn to him Enjoys anything worthy of celebration in your life anything worthy of singing about is there anything conjuring out this love and this worship towards our great and good god you know you know what this meeting is this morning it is a meeting of of wayward sheep who have been found by a loving savior isn't it that's who we are do you know do you, know, do you realize how abundantly blessed you have been by the saving work of jesus christ We've received life and love when we should have received death and separation. We've received mercy and grace when we should have received wrath and rejection. We've been saved from sin and death, guilt and estrangement, ignorance and bondage, fear and hell. I mean, where, where would we be if Christ did not come out into the wilderness of our wickedness and, and rescue us? Where would we be if the Son of Man did not come to seek and to save the lost? Where would we be if Jesus did not, was not willing to bear our sin upon Himself on the cross? Where would we be without His amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see all by his grace my friends here who are find yourself here and who do not know Christ I, I tell you you can come to him today you can be found by him the bible says as I've been inviting you throughout this sermon if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved if you even in your heart even while I keep finished preaching this morning you would just zone me out and you would you would call out to him and say Jesus I believe, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died to pay my penalty. I believe you rose from the dead. Now I surrender. I give my life to you. Have mercy on me. Save me. He will save you this very moment. If you would call out to him, he would find you. He would rescue you. You know how it is that this shepherd rescues us? just to continue this illustration as we close this morning. He does so, if you will, by becoming a sheep for us. The shepherd actually becomes the sheep, doesn't he? In fact, he not only becomes the sheep, he becomes the lost sheep. A lost sheep in which no one is looking for him. No one came to find him. He hung upon a cross and he called out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what, what was the answer? How did God respond to him? Silence. Darkness. Nobody came for Him. No, no one came looking for Him. And it's precisely by Him being lost for us that we can be found. You see, He changes places with us. We who are lost are found because He was, he was with the presence of God. He, he was willing to be lost. He, he was damned in order that we might be saved. This was according to the plan of God. When God took Israel out of Egypt, and, and by His outstretched arm, and by His great power, and by the blood of the Passover lamb, He said, okay, every, every year you're to commemorate your redemption, your salvation, by celebrating this Passover meal, by remembering that I delivered you out of your bondage, out of your slavery, by, by my power, and nothing, you contributed nothing. By the blood of the lamb, you were saved. And they would celebrate this year after year for hundreds of years, remembering the purpose of their redemption. And, 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 and Jesus would do this. He would grow up celebrating the Passover meal until he was about in his mid-30s. And he draws his apostles together to do what? To celebrate the Passover. And, and at the Passover, you always had three things. You had the bread, and you had the wine, and you had the, 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 the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb. Right? And, and, and so Jesus gathers them together to celebrate the Passover. And it's the strangest Passover that's ever been celebrated. Because there's bread there and there's wine there. But there's no lamb on the table. Because the lamb lamb wasn't on the table. The the lamb was sitting at the table. He's the lamb. The lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. That's why we are home. Because our lamb was killed. And this is this meal. This is our Passover, isn't it, Christian? And we celebrate. In a moment, we're gonna we're gonna hold, hold hold the bread in our hand, and we're gonna hold the cup in our hand. And this is God's way of once again imprinting into your heart and to your soul that our shepherd has come to save us by becoming the lost sheep for us, by becoming our Passover lamb. And so let's prepare our hearts, will you? I'm gonna invite you as scripture instructs to take a moment of just kind of preparing yourself for this Passover meal, this Lord's Supper, that we would remember and celebrate and rejoice that we who have been lost have been found by His broken body and His shed blood. Let us pray together. Our Father, I ask for my brothers and sisters and myself that You by Your grace and mercy would forgive us for our weak and tepid joy that we're easily buffeted or easily offended or easily um, bounced off our foundation. Or, we should be far more joyful people. Far more stable and loving and gracious. And I pray even as, as in the moment as we remember how it is we have been saved and what we have, been, have gained simply not through our own righteousness, but despite it, because of the righteous work of Jesus Christ, we have gained a far beyond we, what we could ever dream or imagine. And, and this should change us. We should, we should be people who live this life with abounding joy and love and mercy. We should be people eager to bring in the lost that Your house may be full. Help us. Help us to repent. Help us, even us who have just taken maybe a couple steps from the fold that we would just come back home. Help this meal to happen to remind us that even when we fail to do so we are forgiven by the blood and the body broken body of our lord and you know father our our heart's greatest desire this morning is that you would bring yourself joy by bringing in the lost we pray father for our friend here this morning whoever they may be maybe there are many we pray you know, Father, I, I think You're calling them. I think You're wooing them. I think Jesus is standing right there next to him, saying, just, just stop running and I'll take you home. That they would receive that. They would realize how sinful they are. How far they are from their Creator. And yet how loved they are that He has come for them. That they would call out to You even now, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He died. I believe He rose again. And I surrender my life to Him. Save me. It's just that heart of faith, Father, that You would teach them. It's simply a heart of faith. It is not work. It's not cleaning yourself up. It's not love. It's not doing good. It's not any ritual. It is simply responding to Your Gospel, Your good news in faith. Say, I believe it. I surrender. Save them now. Bring, Let, let heaven erupt in joy because of what You do in this room, this moment. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.